Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. In the book of Proverbs, and uh, not to do too much recapping on it, but chapters 1 through 9 in the book of Proverbs, uh, we went verse by verse through looking at them, how there are multiple letters written from a father, that's Solomon, to his son, Rehoboam. And we just went verse by verse through those first nine chapters. And then if you remember, starting in chapter 10, it, it, went, it changed its style, didn't it? Chapter 10 all the way through chapter 29 are really what seem to be one-liners or two-liners, um, wisdoms, sayings for for life uh, and show and so I just wanted us to really group a lot of those categorize them if you will and um, consider the major themes that are addressed in Proverbs chapter 10 through 29 and so so far we've looked at Proverbs on words and using your tongue um, Proverbs on power and authority and so today, I want to consider the different Proverbs that address God's sovereignty. They're all throughout Proverbs, um, and so we have to consider them. We have to look at them and say, okay, what does this mean for us? And so, this is a very big topic. Maybe you've never heard this term, sovereignty. In short, really, it just means that God governs. God governs everything that happens. And that is a very big concept to try to tackle, which we're not going to try to tackle. I do not plan on covering much of what this topic can encompass. Um, I don't plan on addressing the claim that God, God's sovereignty and the reality of sin entering the world makes God the author of sin. Maybe you've heard this before. We're not going to dive deep into that in Genesis 3. We're not going to try to solve the mystery between God's sovereign um, election and salvation and human responsibility and judgment. And maybe some of, some of you are like, I don't even know what you're talking about. That's okay, because we're not addressing that tonight at all. Um, we're not going to be wrestling with how he can command one thing and sovereignly decree or ordain that something else would happen, the exact opposite to happen, and how that makes sense within God, commanding one thing but ensuring the opposite takes place. We're not going to try wrestling through that reality, though that does happen in Scripture. I'll give you just an example where he desires for Israel to flourish, Jeremiah 51, 24. But he ordains that they would be enslaved and conquered, Isaiah 43, 27, and 28. He commands, thou shalt not murder. But he ordains that exact thing to take place when people killed Jesus, Acts 4, 28. So we're not going to wrestle tonight with the reality of him commanding one thing, but sovereignly decreeing that something else would take place, and how that makes sense with God. On that note, all I'll say for right now is this. We should obey his commands 
and trust his decrees. I want to really narrow our scope tonight, though. And I just have three goals for the short amount of time that we have tonight as we talk about this huge topic. Three goals. Firstly, I just want to open the pages of Scripture with you uh, and just accept them for what they are. They are perfect. We are not. They know God in his word knows everything we do not. And so I just want to open Scripture and just accept it for what it is greater than us. I also want to see that God is over all things. Even if it's confusing on how that works out sometimes and how that makes sense and our very finite minds, I just want to see that he is sovereign. He is over all things. He is a big God. I want us to see that tonight. And thirdly, from that, I want us to feel comfort. I want you to feel comfort, knowing how big your God is. I want that to make your problems feel smaller. Your anxieties shrunk a little bit. I want you to feel comfort in your life that the overseer of it all has your best interest in mind. The bigness and the total rule of God can bring great comfort to you. And I want that tonight for you. I want that for our church family. So those are really my goals. So let's consider what Proverbs says on this topic of, of God's sovereignty. And I just want to kind of build up to see how big and involved God is in this world around us. Firstly, we can just kind of start small and then just build on top of that. We can see that God sees all things. He sees all things. He's aware of all things. He knows all things. In fact, he sees our actions. He sees your actions. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and on the good. Just think about that. This is mind-blowing for me. There are approximately 8 billion people alive right now. Yes, that is eight with nine zeros people on this planet right now, approximately. The Lord sees everyone's actions. He sees all actions at all times in all places with a full understanding of each situation and the context they're in. And he observes all the reactions to those actions and all the reactions to those reactions on and on and on and on forever in every person's life at all times. Plus right now, as I speak, he is infinitely aware. Wow. He sees all things. And not only does he see our actions on the outside, go even further. He sees beyond our actions, and he sees our hearts. The invisible motive, desire, aspirations, goals. These are intangible, invisible, internal realities. He doesn't only see our actions, what our hands do. He sees our hearts and what it beats for. 
sees it. Proverbs 15, 11. It's a little bit later in that chapter. It says, Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. How much more the heart of the children of man. Okay, let's consider what this means. Firstly, Sheol is the place for the dead in Hebrew. And Abaddon is the Hebrew term for the fallen angel who's overseeing this place of destruction and torment. Okay, so Abaddon is arguably another term or name for Satan. And, and Solomon's saying here in Proverbs 15, 11, that God can even see so far to see the darkest place in all of creation. He sees Sheol and the actions of Abaddon there right now. So the point is, if God's sight can reach that far into the darkness, he can certainly see the darkness in our hearts. He can see what's going on in us, for sure. Your deepest sins, your best kept secret, your untold passion, your most vulnerable thought. God's seen it all the time. Simply put, nothing misses the sight of God. He sees all things, actions and things of the heart, tangible and intangible, visible and invisible. He sees all of it. But not only does God see all things, but he ordains all things. Wow, that's building on top. Not only does he see and observe, but he ordains and works out all things. His hands are involved in all things, you could say. Throughout the course of history, from the moment he said, let there be light, to the point now and moving forward, God sovereignly makes all things work together. Proverbs 19, <clears throat> 21. Many are the plans in the mind of a man, but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand. Do you see what it's saying there? You and I can have plans. I'm going to do this tomorrow, and I have this and this and this that I need to get done, and I need to have this done by Friday, and I've got all these plans, and I've got a five-year goal, and I've got 10-year goals and 20-year goals. I'd like to have this by retirement. Where we've got all these plans, but what will actually come about is God's purpose. He is sovereign over all that takes place in the lives of man. The plane that crashes, the miracle baby that's born, the dust that is floating in space, ten galaxies from the Milky Way, a speck of dust floating right now. The stoplight that's changing right now in Bethany and in Hong Kong. The crop that grows and the crops that don't grow. When your car breaks down and when a good Samaritan stops to help, he's in all of it. Proverbs 16, 4. The Lord has made everything, everything 
for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Anyone and anything that takes place, God ensured it to take place. Wow. That means that every tragedy which is worth mourning and every good that is worth celebrating and everything in the middle ultimately traces back to God's sovereign hand. Isaiah 45, verse 7, we're going to step out of Proverbs just for a second to make this point. He says, I form light and I create darkness. This is God speaking. I make well-being and I create calamity. I am the Lord who does all of these things. So going back to Proverbs 19, verse 21 for a second. We've already read this. Many are the plans of the mind of a man, but it's the purpose of the Lord that stands. And from this we saw that he is sovereign in all things. I just want to consider this for a second. I want you to think on this for a second. This is not saying that we just shouldn't make plans then. And we should just sit on our hands and wait to die. This is not saying that we shouldn't do any work or work towards any ends since God will sovereignly ensure all things anyway. We shouldn't evangelize because God is sovereign over salvation. We're not saying that we shouldn't do anything just because God's purpose prevails. I think of the parable of the talent. You You know the parable Jesus talks about? He gives talents to different workers. The master leaves. The master comes back one day and he says, you wicked servant to the one who just buried his talent and did nothing with it. Surely God wants us to act and to do. So this isn't saying that we should have just sit on our hands and not do anything. What it is saying is that we should do what we can do, but trust and rely on that God's plan, His good plan, His perfect plan will ultimately prevail for our good. We can rest in that. Think about last night, or two nights ago, Sarah and I, or Judah and I were cleaning up the kitchen and I was sweeping and he, for some reason, has an obsession on sweeping. Anytime we pull out the broom, I want it, I want it, I want it. He comes running. He just, he's got like a, this radar for it. And so I start sweeping and he just wants to sweep so bad and I'm like, the efficiency in, in Isaac just, you know, just wanted to check things off the list. It's like, buddy, please get out of the way. Please just go do something else. I need to sweep real quick. But the father in me said, come here, buddy, and you know, walk him around, turn him around, help him hold. I'm holding the top, and he's holding way down there, and I kind of show him just how to, how to sweep, and he's sweeping. And then I say, okay, grab the dustpan, and he grabs the dustpan, and I sweep it into the dustpan and tell him to throw it away, and he, and he slept with me. He helped me. I mean, I ensured that it actually got done the way it's supposed to get done. But he was involved in it. Right? And I think this is a a picture how God invites us to work, invites us to help, but he ensures that what he wants done will be accomplished in the end. Now, you shouldn't be offended by this at all. I'm not a child. I don't need to be patronized. I think that's the wrong heart. I think we can be comforted 
that we're not going to mess up his plan. He's going to make sure it happens. And as a good father, he wants us to be involved in making it happen because he loves us. So don't be offended by this. Be comforted by this. Be encouraged by this. And don't think that our actions are just pointless then and our actions uh, helping him are superficial. No, no, no. He loves our obedience. He really loves it. Like genuinely, it brings genuine affections to God when we're involved. And it brings genuine grief to his heart when we rebel and disobey and don't want to be a part of his work. It really does affect God's love and his grief, how you respond and how I respond. So don't think that our actions are pointless and superficial just because he makes sure that it gets swept by the end of the day. It's not superficial. While it's ultimately his oversight, he loves to work through his creation. Proverbs 21, verse 31, shows this, I think. The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the victory belongs to the Lord. Is the horse still going to be used for the victory? Well, yeah. Does God make the victory ensured? Yeah. So God's sovereign, but he loves to work through and in his creation. He loves to use us to his ends. So, you can see that God sovereignly makes all things happen. And that means that if he makes all things happen, that nothing is random then. If total sovereignty is in God's hand, then nothing is random. Everything is intentional. Proverbs 16.33 says, The lot is cast into the lap. Right, that's like die, dice being cast. That would be like in Las Vegas throwing dice right now or in your own living room playing Yahtzee. The lot is cast into the lap. We think it's random. Nothing's random. It's the, it, every decision is from the Lord. Some things seem very small and very random to us, like lots being cast or dice being rolled. Things seem very random, minuscule, insignificant, but nothing is small or too insignificant that it's not from God. Think about how Sarah, uh, whenever we moved from Springfield to Cameron, before we moved to Bethany, Sarah thought she had lost her favorite necklace that I bought her for an anniversary, and she just couldn't find it, and we lived there, I think, for like nine months or something, and she just couldn't find it. When we moved to Bethany and unpacked again somehow it managed to make it to Bethany and and I found it for her, uh, one day and she's like oh my goodness I haven't had this for over a year now and I'm so glad to have it and it's so minuscule there's really nothing significant about it she didn't have it then she did have it and yet it was all in God's plan according to his perfect timing for his purposes even that God was involved in to accomplish his purposes. How, what chain effect followed from that taking place to ultimately affect his end, end goal? I have no idea, but I know that it was involved because everything's involved. Nothing is too insignificant. Again, to jump out of Proverbs just for a second, 
we see this point that nothing is too insignificant to be a part of God's sovereign control. We see it in Matthew 10, 29, I believe, where I'll just tell you it generally. I know Jesus is talking, Matthew 10, 29, and he says that two sparrows cost a penny, which is basically saying they're insignificant. Two sparrows cost a full penny. And yet, he says that they are within God's control. I'll read it right now, 10, 29. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And yet, not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. Just consider that. Two sparrows together cost a penny, and yet not a single one will fall to the ground unless God makes it happen. An insignificant bird, yet God will ensure that it happens if it's going to happen. Nothing is too insignificant for God's sovereign reign to not be over it. Some things might not seem small and random and insignificant, but the exact opposite. Some things that happen are far from small. They're huge. They're just hard to make sense of how God could ever have a a part in that in his grand scheme of things. You know what I'm talking about. The things that have grieved your heart more than anything else. Far from small and insignificant. It just doesn't make sense how it could be a part of God's big plan. And yet, even these things are ultimately a part of God's sovereign plan over all things. Jesus taught in parables, and so I'll give a crack at it. Wrote this, just a fake story. Obviously, you'll tell it's obviously fake, but let me read it to you and just consider this. A man walks up to me, and he says that his name's Abraham. Begins to talk with me a little bit, and he tells me a story, some of it. He shares that he was very successful. He built a name for himself, and he had many who were working for him. In fact, he told me a story that once he rallied all of his servants together, and he conquered five kings and all of their armies to free oppressed people. I was absolutely amazed. I was blown away. The craziest part is he shared me that God himself, the God of the Bible, spoke to him multiple times directly. In fact, once came down and walked with him. God told him that he was chosen to be the father of many nations for thousands and thousands of years to come. God told him that. God chose him for that. And God even blessed him with a child when his wife was 100 years old and then spared his son when his son's life was in danger. And he's just going on about all these incredible things that was unique to his life. And I was blown away. He said, he admitted that he would have never in a million years guessed that his life would have taken that course to turn out so good and favored by God. I was beginning to celebrate with him and and just saying how absolutely incredible all of these things are and how uh, amazing it is. And how God indeed established the path of our lives for our good. Like That's so clear in his story. God certainly controlled all the things that took place in his life. I was just telling him that when another man came up to us. 
said his name was Joseph, and he shared how, as just a young child, he was sold into child trafficking, slavery, and he was sent to a distant country when he was scared and alone. He tried to live the best that he could as a child slave, but he ended up in prison, just forgotten there in that dungeon until he was a young adult. You could just hear the heartbreak in this man's voice as he was telling us this. It's tragic, heartbreaking. How could this take place to anybody? And then he looked up at me and he, and he asked me if God had any part in this, just like how God had something to do with Abraham's story, the man sitting next to us. I felt speechless. Okay, what am I trying to say from this story? Well, when good things happen, it's easy to say, oh, that's from God. That was from the hand of God. Like Abraham's story. But when tragedy happens, it's all of a sudden very difficult for us to say that same thing, that that was from the hand of God as well. But it's no less true, even if it doesn't make sense. Both are from the sovereign hand of God. So we can tell from all the passages we've read so far, God is in control of all things, and He's the one that makes well-being and calamity, Isaiah 45. So, so far, all we've looked at is how He controls the course of history. In theology, that's called providence. He's providence. He controls the, the corridors of history, and He's in charge of what goes down them. But how does his sovereignty relate to our decisions, Isaac's actions? Let's consider that for a second, okay? We may call ourselves free agents, and, and I think to some extent we are free agents to make decisions on our own. But that's not the whole story, and we shouldn't stop there. God's Word, chief authority, says that he is sovereign even over what we do. He is. Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord will establish his steps. Consider that. My heart will drive me a certain way, but the Lord will establish my steps. The actual steps I actually end up taking, it's because God decreed that it would take place. And now maybe you're thinking, the way that I would naturally push back is, well, I thought my actions flowed from my heart. My heart leads to my actions. Yeah, that's true. But you know what? God is sovereign even over what, what our hearts want, too. Proverbs 21.1. Consider this. The king's heart not just his actions, not just his footsteps. The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wills. Whew. So not just my footsteps, but my heart's desires too are in the hands of this sovereign God. Just consider how this applies to, to kings and leaders. Not just our lives, but also kings and leaders. Corrupt leaders in this world the leaders of our government. This leads to a lot of questions, doesn't it? At least the questions for me. 
why? I guess it's probably the first one. Why would you lead them to do that? How is that a good plan? How does that make sense? What good could come from that? These are questions. But I think also this verse leads to a lot of comfort. Evil men and women in high offices, even in our own nation, think that they are accomplishing their wicked plans and desires. But the reality is, God's word tells us that they are under our king's jurisdiction and they are always where he wants them to be at the right time when he wants them to be there for his plan to prevail. Our king is king and no one else is king over him. And that's comforting for you and I who are his citizens. Our king is in charge. I want to go back to Proverbs 16, 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. Okay? So he establishes our steps. That, I think, leads into Proverbs 20, 24, which is really like a follow-up step verse. The man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man understand his own ways? So God would control the events that take place in our life. Then naturally we would ask, then how can I understand the course that my life is going down? I think that's a rhetorical question. We can't. We can't understand. It doesn't always make sense. It won't always make sense, at least on this side of eternity. It won't always make sense why things take place in our lives the way they do. I can't tell you why you've gone through what you've gone through. I can't tell you the logic behind it, the reasoning in God's head behind it. But know this. You don't need to know why. We want to know why, don't we? We always want to know why. God, what was your plan there? Explain to me. But honestly, you don't need to know why. I don't need to know why things happen the way they did. We just need to know that he has a plan in it. He has a purpose for it. And that plan and that purpose is for our good. Romans 8. It's for our good. It's for your good. It's for my good. Our king is good. So this is what Proverbs has to say about the sovereignty of God and how incredible it is. Just any concluding remarks I would give is this. And I thought about this right before going up in the services. I think it's good that we remember the context in which these Proverbs were written. It actually makes it that much more comforting. The context in which these were originally written in. Why were these first penned? Why did somebody first stroke these Proverbs? Well, we know. Solomon was writing to his son. His son was about to take the throne. Solomon was going to die one day. And Rehoboam was going to become the king, the throne, sitting on the throne of a nation. This is why Proverbs was written. And so the first one to read what we just read tonight was the soon-to-be king who would have incredible power, and much responsibility. Think about that. That's the first one who ever read these words. 
Solomon knew that he needed to know. A man who had much responsibility and who would have great weight on his shoulders to run a government. He needed to remember, he needed to know and be reminded that God's in charge. That God's got control. God's got this. You can't mess up his plan. It's not all on your shoulders. God's shoulders are much broader than yours. And it's holding the weight. I think we need to know that as well. Just as much as Rehoboam needed to know that. Even if you have a lot going on in your life. Even if you have a lot on your plate. Even if you have a lot weighing you down in grief. You can know by these verses that God is balancing all of it out and he won't drop it. He's got a firm grip on all of it. Even if you're overwhelmed with what's in your life right now, God's not trembling about it. It's how he intends it to be for a good purpose. I think the only natural response to that is that we would turn our eyes to Jesus. If he is such a big God, I want to look to him. I want to trust him. A couple nights ago, Judah has been having nightmares. I don't know why. Um, he's been so scared of different animals being in his room. And so I'm kind of always, you know, you know parents, they're down the hall, but as soon as you hear one of them get upset, you're, you're out the door and going to check on him. And I just heard him just screaming, absolutely screaming, Blow the, you know, throw the covers off, I jump out of bed, and I am swinging open my door to go check, and he just grabs my legs, and he just squeezes onto me, and so I, I bend down, and I pick him up, and he just, like a koala bear, just hugs onto me, and he stops crying immediately, and I'm like, buddy, hey, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay, you know, you just try to calm him down, and it was the most precious and endearing thing. He just kissed me on the cheek, and he said, thank you for protecting me. Our little two-year-old, Thank you for protecting me. I said, buddy, of course. I will always protect you. And I walk him back and I lay him down. And his fear just evaporated. He was terrified. He felt absolutely helpless. But when he ran into my arms, he thought nothing could stand against his dad. He felt invincible because he had his dad. I think this is what sovereignty drives us to. We can't control our lives. We can't stop, stop the bad things from happening or from scaring us. We can't ensure that good things will take place. We've, we're helpless creatures like a scared child. But the greatest comfort is that we have a powerful father in heaven who has total power over any and all threats we face. He is a big God. So therefore, turn your eyes unto Jesus, look into his wonderful face, and he will care for us. Amen. Let me pray for us. 
Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com. 